All right. I think I'm doing this right. How do I get a thumbs up if people can hear me right now? All right. I'm seeing some thumbs ups. I think people can hear me. This is great. I'm so excited to be here for uh, my first of what will be many live discussions um, on a variety of hopefully interesting topics for people. Um, You know, a mix and match of all of the things that interest and excite me around life, growth, frameworks, mental models, business, finance, a little bit of everything. Um, I think a lot of you that'll be here hopefully are readers of of my newsletter, The Curiosity Chronicle, um, and have engaged with with me over the uh, the last two years of this journey. I'm very, very thankful to all the OGs that are here for this first one too, because I know that it hasn't uh, it hasn't yet grown to grown to scale given I just announced it. So I really appreciate all of you, David, Jared, William, Monsa, Charlie, Anders, Olivia, Arjun, Jack, Pedro, Andrew, Sandeep, Jack, Chase. Those are the first ones I'm seeing on here. Really appreciate all of you. Um, recognize a lot of you from Twitter too and people that I've interacted with. So thank you all so much. Um, and as a, uh, as a minor, uh, token of my thanks, if anyone, uh, if anyone wants to DM me on Twitter, just put like call in live at the very beginning of it. And I will, uh, I'll check that and get back to everybody later that, that flags it. I apologize if I've ever missed DMs from people, it's getting a little bit crazy. Um, so today I want to kick off with a topic that is extremely important to to all of us and something that I think and and write about quite a bit. And that's the topic of luck. Uh, I wrote a piece yesterday that got released, which I'm sure uh, many of you have seen on, you know, called it how to get lucky, which is um, a little bit of a kitschy title, admittedly. uh, But it's something that I do think about quite a bit. Um, And the format for today, I I really want to talk through um, a little bit on the piece, uh, really give me a, a kind of conduit to go a bit deeper on some of the, um, on some of the items that were in there. You know, a a newsletter can only be so long. I try to avoid being too long. Uh, you know, my goal with all of my writing is to kind of get you what you need and then send you on your way. Um, but I've often gotten the feedback that it'd be great to go deeper on different areas. And so I want to be able to use this, you know, maybe for 10 or 15 minutes to, to go deeper on some of those areas in it that I felt like warranted, a bit of a deeper dive. And then I want to open the floor to any of you who um, have questions, want to kind of go deeper on some of these different topics and um, and take it from there. And, you know, this is going to become a regular thing. I'd love to do it around a bunch of my newsletter pieces or Twitter threads um, that elicit, you know, a strong, a strong reaction from the crowds, positive or negative. Um, and I should say I am more than open to pushback on anything that I say. Um, I don't consider myself a teacher by any means. I think I'm, I'm learning alongside everyone else and alongside all of you. And I love being told I'm wrong uh, in good faith, hopefully. So with that in mind, maybe we just kick off and, you know, as people filter in or you can listen to any of this later as well. Um, I very much appreciate everyone joining. So I wanted to start with what kind of sparked me to think about luck. The, the first time I ever encountered this concept, you know, I, I've written about it in the context, I call it like engineered serendipity. Um, and th- this idea that you can engineer or manufacture luck. Uh, yeah, I talk about it in the piece, but there's really two forms of luck to me. I think there's the truly uncontrollable form of luck. That is where you're born, who you're born to, the kind of certain baseline sets of circumstances that you are given, which 
undeniably, you know, are out of your control and, you know, change the, the kind of outcomes in a lot of ways for the rest of your life. We can't control those. Uh, and my perspective is, you know, it's not something that I personally talk or write about. On the other end of the spectrum, there is truly controllable luck in my mind. And that is when you can actually uh, create luck through daily habits, through the thousands and thousands of micro actions that you take on a daily basis, you can put yourself in positions where luck is more likely to strike. Now, in the piece, I talk about a scene in a movie, which is one of my favorites. Spoiler alert if you've never seen Interstellar. Uh, but the characters are talking about this tiny planet that sits on the edge of a black hole. Uh, and in that scene, they talk about the uh, lack of habitability of that planet. And they come to this realization that when that close to a black hole, it is impossible for life to exist or highly improbable for life to exist on that planet. And they hypothesize that it's because the black hole sucks up all of the luck that could have that could have come into contact with that planet. And I, I don't know whether they meant it to be, but there is a powerful metaphor there that I've thought about a lot as I've continued to kind of read and write on this topic, because the whole point of of luck and the uh, the aim here is to open yourself up to those random collisions, the chaos theory that creates those moments. And that requires you expanding, opening the aperture and enabling your life to be hit by those moments. Those moments might be new people, they might be certain events, they might be chance encounters, whatever they are, you need to be opened up to them. You can't get lucky. I talk about it in the piece, you cannot get lucky watching Netflix on the couch at home by yourself. It's just highly, highly improbable that anything will strike in that way. And so I talk about it in the context of black holes, because I think there's two pieces to this whole concept of luck. There is removing black holes from your life. And black holes are the things that suck up all the luck around you. I think black holes include the highly negative people in your life, the people that tell you to be realistic or tell you you can't do something or laugh at your big ambitions or your ideas. Uh, I think it also includes pessimists in general. Um, when you spend a lot of time around people who are, you know, the negative Nancy's, uh, et cetera, it's very hard to get lucky uh, because those people are, are um, black holes within your life. And so removing the black holes from your life and then focusing on places where you can expand the luck surface area, where you can open your aperture up um, such that you're getting hit by more and more things. That's what I really focus on and, and what I really like to think about and talk about. So just hitting on a couple of these before I open up the floor for questions, um, a couple of the ones that I think are most important. So the first one that I had in the piece is this idea of being the dumbest in the room. Um, I think about this all the time because my first encounter um, with luck was through this. It was through being the dumbest in the room. I went to an event um, that I got invited to just after college. I was just starting my career. I had no idea um, what was happening. Or actually, sorry, this is my last year in college. And I had no idea what was happening in the world of international relations, foreign policy, everything that we actually talk about right now, given the world's circumstances. I was super passionate about and interested in, but had never been exposed to it. And I got invited to this event. It was like a cocktail event um, that a couple of Stanford professors were hosting. And I was really scared. My first reaction was like, oh, holy shit, um, excuse my language, holy shit, uh, I am going to be so over my skis. I am not going to know one thing that any of these people are talking about. I really shouldn't go to this. It's going to be embarrassing. Um, 
and then I had a friend who just told me like, who cares? Just go, just listen, um, listen to people. You don't need to weigh in. You don't need to like chime in on foreign policy or on at the time it was like, you know, Russia invading Crimea, which is ironic given today's uh, situation, but you don't need to weigh in on it. Just listen, listen to people and see what you learn. And I went to this event and as it turns out, I ended up meeting uh, the individual who became my master's advisor for a master's in public policy. And it was because I just happened to go to this event and wasn't scared of just listening and not trying to weigh in. And it's like a complete ego and mentality shift when you go, because I tend to be a very talkative person. I love engaging with people. And I had to force myself when I was in that room to realize I was the idiot. I was the like token dumb person in the room on the topic and just listen and be quiet and absorb things. And maybe every now and then weigh in with some perspective that comes from a different, different angle or different view. Um, But it was really amazing. And that was my first encounter with it. Um, And so it's become one that I just think is so important is to just find those rooms wherever they are, where you can be the dumbest one in the room. And then when you get in the room, just listen. You don't need to talk. You don't need to weigh in on things. You don't need to have some smart perspective to wow people. You can literally wow people by just being an observer, by being someone that is intently listening, that's following up, that's showing that you're energized about what they're saying. That is a tried and true way um, to win. The other one that I think about a lot, which is a little bit later in this piece, and I'll start taking questions here in uh, in a couple minutes, is this idea of like hustle. It's just the idea of creating enough energy and motion uh, that you find luck. And Naval has talked about this before, and I think his writing on it is great. My first experience with this, just because I'm in the vein of sharing personal experiences, was right after I got done with school, I was working in a in a finance job and I wanted to show up really early every day to work because I, you know, come from an athletic background. I just believed that like putting my head down and grinding was going to be the way that I, you know, excelled in the early years of my career and that I could learn a lot and absorb. And so getting to work early meant I had to get to the gym early because I wanted to work out before because who knows what happened later in the day. So I'd show up at the gym at 5 a.m. on the dot every single morning. And this was a re- this was at the Equinox in Palo Alto, California. And there were about five to 10 people who reliably every single day showed up at five o'clock in the morning. Um, and it was kind of like the psycho group. And it was a little bit of like a badge of honor that people had. And I didn't know anyone, you know, I'd go, it was mostly probably people in tech. Um, and I wasn't in that world. So I didn't really absorb it. And I would talk to these people every morning, you're around them. It's like a small group. It was almost like a little tribe had formed of the people that were crazy enough to show up at that time every morning. Um, And as it turns out, one of those people happened to be Tim Cook, who was at the time the new CEO of Apple. Now, obviously, he's, you know, a very well-known individual, but we became friends and he became a mentor and an advisor and someone who has had a massive impact on my life. And I say that not in a braggadocious way. I say it in a way um, where this was a, an example of luck being created by tiny daily actions. I was, it was pure luck in a lot of people's minds that I happened to be at the gym and meet someone like that who then took an interest in me, but it wasn't luck that I showed up six months straight at five in the morning at a gym to go work out and not with some end goal in mind. I was going and doing that because it was what I was going to do. It wasn't because I was trying to meet impressive people. It was because that was what I did. And it happened to create and turn to um, something much bigger and something that had a lasting um, 
and really pervasive impact in my life um, throughout the last five, 10 years. So that was just another example to me and a very personal example of really creating those lucky moments um, through your daily actions and the things you're doing. So I want to open it up to questions from anybody that might have um, interest in talking about or going deeper on this. If you do have a question, um, please just raise your hand, uh, use the call in button to, uh, to ask anything. And as you, uh, as you do so, I will pull people up uh, onto the stage and we can ask questions. I think we've got our first one from Tarek. Let me figure out how to do this. Invite to speak. All right, Tarek. I think if you just unmute yourself, you can ask a question. Hey, how's it going? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. This is a fan, big fan of you, Sahil. Uh, you pronounced my name right, which is awesome. So I know that's because you've uh, worked with other Tariks. Um, so yeah, your whole point on uh, just how to create luck and these small little wins, uh, I find very impactful in my day. And something I read that I shared on uh, LinkedIn recently was a post about the 5 a.m. club by Robin Sharma. And he talks something about that you've, you know, talked highly about in these tiny targets, right? So the concept is the daily five concept. And it's listing five tiny targets you wish to accomplish in a day. And then by the month, it's 150 valuable victories. And then by the year, it's 1,825 high target um, victories. And these include like doing your laundry, right? You know, calling my father in bed by 10. That's three of the five I had yesterday. Just wanted to get your you know thoughts on that and how different concepts and these small victories really start, you know, taking precedence in your uh, overall overarching, you know, career. Yeah, I think it's a great question. Thanks, Tarek. Um, I have so many perspectives on this, um, you know, can, would you mind just going on mute just for audio quality? Yep, yep. Sorry. Um, no, 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 no problem. Um, so a lot of you have probably read Atomic Habits um, or at least engaged with James Clear, who's an amazing follow on Twitter, if you don't already. And his book is incredible. Uh, but I think his book does the best job of really laying out the case of how these tiny incremental daily actions create massive outsized results. And there's this chart that I've shared in the past or a little graph he made of like, the whole idea of 1% better every single day, which, you know, it's really a metaphor, right? Like maybe you're not going to get 1% better every day. That's not really the way it works. Sometimes you go backwards a little bit, then it jumps, et cetera. But the whole idea of 1% every single day, over the course of a year, you make like a 37X gain. And I think about that a lot because I try to figure out on a daily basis, what are the tiny little things that I can just do well? Um, that I know I can own and they don't have to be dramatic. They don't have to be impressive, powerful, like flashy, et cetera. To your point, it might be things like call your parents every single day and look at the impact that that has on your relationship with your parents over the course of the year. One for me over the last year was I want to go on a walk with my wife every single morning and like rain or shine, you know, snowy, sunny, et cetera. I want to do that every day and it can be 10 minutes. It can be 30 minutes, whatever it is. And you track the impact of those tiny daily actions that are important to you, play them out over a long period of time, and it's almost impossible to not see amazing progress in it. I did the same thing with meditation at one point. I was really trying to get involved in meditation, and my, I'm sure a lot of you deal with this, like my 
athlete mindset around these things is to go fucking bananas with things. Excuse my language again. I, this is going to become a common thread, me saying excuse my language. But my um, my bias is to go bananas with these things and to go like all the way to the, you know, the brink and the wall. And so when I first started trying to meditate, I would do like an hour and it was miserable. I couldn't do it. My like monkey mind was all over the place. It was literally like torture for me. Um, and every day I'd like force myself to do it thinking I was going to become some like Yoda Jedi master of my mind. And really it was just miserable. And so I did it for like two weeks. And then I basically had burnt myself out on this whole concept of meditating. I was like, that was useless. Didn't do anything for me. I hated it. It was miserable. Um, and then I had a friend just tell me like, dude, just do two minutes a day, five minutes a day max and do it for two months and see, see what happens. And I did it. And it completely changed my life and my perspective on meditation. Um, and so I think that was a really powerful realization for me. Actually, and the same thing happened to me recently with journaling. I used to think that you had to have this like massive structured journaling practice in order to reflect on your life. And in order to have valuable reflections, I had to journal in like a structured way for 30 minutes a day. Otherwise, it was useless. And I just like was lying to myself, right? I told myself that that's what I had to do to be the best at journaling. Um, and the reality is you just need to take the tiny step, right? It's like the the five minutes of journaling a day in a completely unstructured way. Jot down a couple things that came to your mind. You do that day in, day out, and something really powerful happens. Um, I shared on Twitter, the last thought I'll share here, I shared on Twitter recently one of my favorite video clips. And it's a clip of Will Smith um, on a talk show. And he's talking about this whole idea of like building a big wall, and he says, you don't set out to build this big, badass, great wall. That's not what you do. What you do is you have to stop and say, I'm going to lay this one brick as perfectly as a brick can be laid. And you do that day in, day out. And then you step back and one day you have a wall. And I think it's just the most powerful concept for me personally. And one that resonates so powerfully Uh because it's so easy and digestible and graspable to think that way. I have a really tough time envisioning, like when I started writing, I had an impossible time envisioning where this was all going to head. Like, was I really going to go build, you know, a platform or an audience or a following? Like, it was just, it's impossible to think. I remember when I got my first, I don't know, a thousand followers or 4,000 followers. I remember calling my dad and being like, holy shit, this is crazy. This many people follow me. This is nuts. And he said something like, oh man, like what about 10,000? And I remember just thinking in my mind, like that's impossible. That's just not going to happen. That number's too big. It's too far away. I couldn't see the path. But then when you back out and you say like, okay, what are the daily actions that actually do get me to that? Um, it becomes much more manageable. And in your mind, you can really tackle it and you can go after it that way. So those are just a few of my thoughts, Tarek. I think it's a great, great question um, and probably something I should think about writing about and speaking about more because it is something I do think about a lot. So I appreciate you asking that. All right, next one. Jacob. Let's see. Hey, are you up here, Jacob? If you just take yourself off mute, you'll be good to go. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, thank you for having me on. Um, great yeah, podcast thanks for coming so far. Up. Of course. So uh, one of the beauty of uh, habits and just luck, and one of the reasons why I think they're so interconnected, just how you just said, you got to start with that the first tiny brick, um, is that it's formation, right? You, you can't get to 100 without starting um, from one. 
Um, and, and this past weekend, I turned out 22, right? And for my birthday, I, I flew into Harvard and there was an entrepreneurship mixer. And uh, just how you were saying, like, it was it was a little bit overwhelming because definitely in the room with like a bunch of great minds, people that are changing the industry. Um, and I definitely felt a little dumb. But the thing the thing about that is that, you know, you got to get you got to go ahead first. Um, and my question is, how do you ask questions to people that, you know, when time is of the essence, because I came in, you know, sharing my idea. And I think I was too focused on trying to share the idea that I didn't take a step back and I didn't just take in the room, you know, the green vines that were there and I didn't get their perspective, but I also didn't want to seem like I was interviewing them. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And it's actually, um, well, first off, congrats and happy birthday. Um, I'm glad that you took that step. I mean, it sounds like it was, it was a a great event and something to go to. Um, You know, I think personally, everybody, likes to talk about things they are excited about. And so I've written this before at some point of like one of the questions I find works so well when you're in that situation is literally just asking someone, what are you most excited about that you're working on right now? Uh, Because the question is open-ended. So it's very rare that that question leads to like a dead end with someone, which is my biggest fear when I get into a conversation where I feel like a little nervous and I want to kind of cool the room you normally like if you're talking to a smart person you ask them that they have some cool fucking thing that they're working on that they're really excited to talk about because you're asking what is the thing you're most excited to talk about and so you can ask a question that is sort of disarming it's very short and easy to ask so it's it's quick it kind of immediately gets the point across Um, and it gets them talking in like a free-flowing and natural way And if you're engaged and you're listening as they talk about that, you find ways to then just get into like a natural conversation, right? They'll say a few things that you don't understand and you can say, oh, that's super interesting. Can you tell me more about that? Um, And I think about that in a lot of conversations still. I don't think that applies just when you're starting your career. Someone asked me that question actually when I was like 23, maybe 24 Um, I was at like a Thanksgiving dinner or something. And uh, uh, a woman who was there who I didn't know asked me that question at Thanksgiving dinner. And I remember logging it in my mind of like, that was a really good question to ask someone. And so now I do it like I will on our, um, uh, you know, on different like interviews or different people that I talk to or different discussions I have with people. It's one of my go to questions. And you can ask it in a variety of formats. But the basic idea of like, what are you most excited about that you're working on? is a great icebreaker question. Um, And honestly, one that sticks out in people's minds, because these people, especially if you're talking to someone really impressive, someone very successful, they're so used to being asked for things. Um, It's almost impossible, you know, at at the level of really impressive people, it's really, really hard for them to live their lives normally. Because everyone that comes up to them wants something, they want a job, they want an investment, they want mentorship, they want advice, it's always something. And so when you approach them with something that is really genuine, just wanting to learn and absorb their ideas and being around them, um, you get into immediately, you kind of cut into a different level of of discussion with them. And I think that's really, that's really meaningful and powerful. No, I I agree with you. And if I could just add one point to that, um, I think that that approach is really great because we live in a society where a lot of the times for introductions, you're like, oh, what do you do? Right. It's never like, what are you passionate about? Yeah, right? I feel like we live in a study where I, our identity is our job, not what we really love. And when you ask this question, you're almost telling them, what are you passionate about? You know, don't tell me your job. Tell me what you're working on, what you what you love. 
Um, so I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I think you, you said it better than I did. <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely true. We're so, we're so embedded in this culture of like, what do you do? And I know a lot of people, myself included, who really hate that question because people ask me that today. They're like, Hey, what do you do? You know, when I meet people and I don't really know the answer to that question anymore. I used to have a very neat answer to it, right? Like I worked in finance and I had a, you know, slightly impressive sounding title at a young age um, that was kind of undeserved. I just, it just happens to be how people uh, move in those roles. And that felt very neat and clean to me. And it felt like it had this prestige attached to it that I liked. And now I don't really have that. I don't really know how to like, in one sentence, explain what I do. I do a lot of things. I pursue a lot of things I'm interested in. Um, and that's kind of hard. And it almost like you put someone on their heels if they are like me. Um, and it ends up leading to a bad conversation. So I actually just think flipping the script on it and not approaching it that way is a, is a great realization. Thanks so much for coming up, Jacob. Appreciate it. All right. Take next caller. Oops. I think I screwed something up. Uh, Alex, I was trying to call you up to, uh, to ask your question and it looks like it somehow disappeared you. So if you, uh, if you are there here, I'm going to invite you to speak. Alex is a great supporter on Twitter. I feel like I see you all the time, Alex. So appreciate you being here as well. Um, if you just unmute, you can go ahead and chat. <laughs> so, listen, I really appreciate that. And I'm loving this call in so far. I'm uh, calling in from the other side of the pond over here in sunny London. So uh, great to be part of this conversation. And I guess following the vein of 1% improvements and that incremental effect, where do you position yourself on building systems versus setting goals? I am, I think it's a great question. I am almost entirely um, systems focused uh, where I sit today. I used to be, I would say I was probably 90, 10 goals versus systems in my prior life. I just had, and they were kind of stupid goals, to be honest. I mean, I was working in a very traditional track and path, like the kind of path where you kind of put blinders on and put your head down and you hope to wake up when you're 40, having made a chunk of money. And that's, that's kind of your life. Um, and that was very goals driven. Everything to me was like, all right, I want to make partner by this age. I want to make this much money by this age. I want to do this by then. And I almost on a daily basis had to zoom out and realize that I wasn't actually making progress on things that was meaningful in terms of my quality of thinking or my quality of decision-making or judgment because I was so focused on these end outcomes. And so I would say now I've kind of flipped it where I'm probably more like 80-20 or 90-10 systems versus goals. Um, I wrote a piece, I think it's called the Goal Setting Guide, if you Google it, um, where I tried to lay out like my framework for how I think about goals. And the way I do it is I generally have like a long term and a medium term um, that sort of just serve as like, you know, when you're on a hike uh, and you're walking and every now and then you kind of like look up at the peak, like where you're walking to. And it has this sort of abstract motivating function for you because you can see where you're headed. And then you look back down. And you start focusing on, you know, the one step that you have to take and the next step you have to take. And when you're tired, because 
that little bit of motivation does help, but it's not motivating enough that you can just stare at it the whole time because you'll trip, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll miss a step and you'll lose sight of what you're doing then. So I set goals with that kind of general framework in mind where I want to have a vision of where I'm going in that abstract motivating sense. But on a daily basis, I really want to focus on my actions and the environment that I put them in. I, I haven't ever talked or written about this, but one thing I've been musing on a lot is you have to know what you suck at. And rather than trying to like change those things you suck at, just create an environment that limits the impact of those sucky things on your systems and on your life. Like for me, to give an example, I suck at um, being able to uh, not touch my phone. Um, like the insidious nature of the dopamine hits that come from Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever the platform is are like have full hold on me if my phone is around me. So if I have my phone in my office, I'm trying to do focused work. Um, I am not able to avoid like 10 minutes in touching my phone when I see the screen light up and grabbing it and being like, oh, let me just quickly check if anything interesting has happened on Twitter or on LinkedIn or Facebook, wh wherever it is. I'm just not able to do that. Um, and rather than trying to like forcibly, um, you know, wean myself in that way, which I probably should do, I just leave my phone outside the room if I'm going to be focusing on work. Like I, I have just manufactured an environment that allows me to eliminate that thing I suck at. Similarly, I suck at long periods of focused work. I have a really tough time just like getting myself to sit down for two or three hours and working. I, I almost can't do it. And so what I do is I literally block 30 to 60 minute blocks of focused work time on my calendar. That is like the non-negotiable focus time. And honestly, 30 minutes tends to be the limit of when I like need a break and need to go for a walk, which, which feels crazy, but it is what works for me. And so I've kind of now started to play with systems and then also engineered environments that limit the kind of negative impact of things that I just think I'm not very good at and being open and transparent about the things I'm not good at with myself. Yeah, I, I really, really like that. I think internalizing what you suck at, I love. And I think it ties in nicely to your thought of operating inside your area of competence. I think having that long-term vision, but similarly not getting caught up in the weeds. I think it's all too easy getting lost on the outcome, the result, but perhaps focusing on what you said there, Sahil, engineered environments and systems that really work for you. Yeah, I think that's really well said, man. And I appreciate all of your all of your support and the, the different engagement on Twitter, by the way. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for joining for this inaugural call in as well. I think we've got time for uh, maybe two more questions. I think there might be two callers up. So um, let's uh, let's jump to the next one here. All right, we've got David. Hey, David. Oh, hey, Sal. Yes, hey. So, yeah, I saw your, one of the things you wrote about was trust the weekend test. And definitely yeah, listen to that Chris Dixon episode on Web3, which was very uh, enthusiastic and enlightening. But, yeah, what do you do on the weekends? 
That's a good question. <laughs> Probably not anything interesting enough that you should be trusting, actually. Um, I'm the dumb one that tries to follow and trust my, uh, my smart friends. I write a lot on the weekends, man. Um, my, um, the vast majority of the writing I do is on the weekends and not just when I'm two whiskeys deep, by the way, I get like, now that I've written a few things while buzzed, um, on Sunday evenings, I'm like, I feel like I'm creating this persona that I'm drunk all the time. And I have like my mom texting me asking if, you know, if I'm like drinking too much and stuff like that. I don't drink that often guys. So (laughs) just saving it for the record here. But yeah, I mean, I, I write a lot on the weekends. Um, and I tend to have, like for me personally, every weekend I try to do a meaningful catch up call with one of my, you know, smart friends that's working on something cool. Um, I find that like during the week, it, it's really hard to find time to do like an hour of kind of unstructured discussion with someone. And the weekends tend to be a great time to do that. So sometimes it's people that are working on different writing, you know, trying to write a book, do things like that. Sometimes it's someone who's brainstorming the next idea for their startup. And I can kind of just be a listening board and a intellectual sparring partner around things. But I try to have one of those every weekend if I'm if I'm able to. Um, And, you know, life changes, right? Like some weekends I'm away or traveling a bunch and it's really hard to, um, you know, find the time to do the things that I want to do. Um, I also have, you know, my first, uh, a little boy due in, in May. Um, and I'm sure that is going to have a dramatic impact and that all I'm going to want to do is, is spend time with him. So I think, um, you know, I, t- to me personally, writing is what I, what I love doing on the weekend. I spend a lot of time actually now that I have the investment fund, um, you know, reviewing and trying to learn and absorb kind of the ideas and different things that people are working on. But I, um, I'm definitely the dumb one. I try to track the, uh, the impressive things that other friends are doing on the weekends. Indeed. Yeah, if I were to picture you uh, writing, does it happen kind of like sitting down at a desk on a laptop or sometimes you get inspired and you just start? So my ideas come while, generally speaking, out on walks. Um, I carry around, I go on walks without my phone, um, basically daily. Uh, It's kind of how how I unwind and how I, um, I don't know how I get unstuck, um, is, is I go outside and I go for a walk and, and I carry like a tiny little moleskin, um, notebook with me, like a pocket sized moleskin notebook. Um, cause I don't want to have my phone on me when I go on these walks. And so I carry that. And then as ideas come to me, I'll jot them down. Um, and then when I get back, if I'm inspired to actually go deeper on something and write about something, I'll sit down at my desk and I write every, like everything that I write is all on my computer. Um, I mainly use my iPad for like consumption reading. Um, I try to separate consumption from creation. So my computer is for the creation and my iPad is for consumption. Um, but I normally sit and I will, you know, properly write things out, sketch them out. And then, you know, the editing process of trying to, I I generally believe in like write fast, edit slow. I think the most terrifying thing is when you're first starting something and it's completely blank and just feels like crap. And so I try to kind of like, bust through that wall by just writing really quickly um, at the outset and then slowing down to actually make something make sense. Indeed. Thanks for those insights. Yeah. It looks like you kind of get in touch with your subconscious on these walks and just let your mind go still. And so, yeah, it's like that idea of creative boredom. Um, I just think I, I have noticed over the years that all of my best ideas come to me when I'm basically not doing anything. 
um, it's very hard for me to engineer inspiration. And so I try to, um, I try to just like create those moments when I am bored so that I can have those ideas come to me. I mean, it's no secret that like a lot of people have great ideas in the shower. Um, I actually recently bought a, um, a magnet, uh, shower, like wall, like piece of paper. Um, Alex Lieberman had posted about it a while back. Um, the founder of morning Brew is a friend of mine. He had posted it and I was like, that is brilliant because I do have just a lot of random good ideas that come to me in the shower and you have no way of capturing them when you're in the shower. And so, um, I think it's no secret that ideas come to you when you least expect it. And so having a notebook or having something around where you can jot those kind of things down is pretty powerful. I've like slipped, fallen and almost died too many times trying to like get out of the shower to grab my phone, to write something down that I think the, uh, the shower journal might just be the move from now on. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> um, so got time for one more question. Um, I think we have one more moksh um if you just unmute yourself i think you'll be able to speak i hope i'm loud and clear hey are you there yeah hello hi i'm audible yeah hi hi Sahil. hi everyone hi so like my doubt is uh, before the q a session you were talking about that Tim Cook was one of the persons with you in early hours of the game, right? Yep. So I want to ask is like, how was conversation started there? Like you also uh, asked the same question, like what is the most passionate thing about what you are working <laughs> right now? Uh, this is a good question. And it's, it's a and funny here's one. Here's the second part of the question. Oh, sorry, like, yeah. Uh, how the relationship strength, strengthened with time? Like what were the things you usually talked about? This also contributes to the question. How was the relationship strengthened with time with him? This is both both great questions. Thank you for asking. So on the first one, um, the funny thing about this was I so I wasn't in the tech world and I really had never followed tech. I had always kind of I played baseball in college. I didn't really follow tech. A lot of my friends were going into it, but I didn't really know what it was. I didn't studied economics, so I was never exposed to it. Um, so I didn't really know anything about the tech world. And so I actually didn't know who he was for the first, call it six months that I was like talking to him and seeing him at the gym every day. So he was just one of the people that I would engage with and chat with every morning. He was just like any other guy or girl that I would talk to at the gym in the mornings. Um, and I didn't wear glasses when he was in the gym in the morning. So he was like, he didn't look as distinct. And he also wasn't as famous then um, as he is today. Uh, so I just didn't know who he was. And I figured it out because someone told me that he was the CEO of Apple. And that was when I asked him whether he'd be willing to um, have breakfast one morning so that I could just chat with him about my career and things I was trying to learn and grow through. And, you know, I think it was a combination of timing, uh, you know, of the fact that he was not yet in the seat where everyone was constantly wanting things from him. So I was fortunate in that because I think now he has to be a lot more guarded with his time, um, given his status and where he's gone. And also, you know, for months, I had engaged with him in good faith without any sort of kind of ask. Like I had never wanted a job. I still didn't want a job. I wasn't asking him for a job at Apple. I wasn't trying to work with him. I wasn't trying to get an investment from him, etc. It was like very genuine. And so then we got together to your point on what question. Um, I did ask him this question. I asked him, what are you most excited about that you're working on right now? 
And it was the first example and the only example in my life of when someone did not answer the question. And it was because he said, I actually can't tell you. Um, and he kind of laughed while he said that, but it was a funny example of like, it was secret, right? It was like Apple proprietary, whatever their next big product innovation was that they were working on. And so it was a funny example of something you might encounter depending on who you ask the question to in the future. Um, but, you know, really over time, it was like the type of um, questions, you know, relationship, et cetera, that you'd have with anyone, you know, anyone that you look up to, you're trying to learn and absorb from being around them. I never had you know, a desire to go work with him for him, et cetera. And so I think that also kind of preserved the integrity of the relationship that it was, um, you know, genuine and in good faith. Um, but it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I realized that I've now run over and taken up, uh, a lot of everybody's time. I really appreciate everybody joining. I wasn't sure what to expect in terms of how many people would join live and having, you know, 50 ish people on here during this and in kind of an intimate setting, um, being able to to chat, answer questions was was really really fun. So I'm excited to get to do this more. Thank you guys seriously so much for for joining for this first one. Um, and if people have questions, follow ups, things, you know, you can you can DM me. My DMs are a little bit of a mess. Um, I'm I'm uh, probably better on like email replies to the newsletter um, or messages on here, which I think there is a messaging function as well. So. I'm really looking forward to engaging with everyone. I'm going to be doing these at least once a week, hopefully twice a week. Um, if there are topics you'd love to see covered or things that you think, um, you know, would be interesting to jam on. If there are guests you think I should bring on for some of these, I am going to bring on some cool people to uh, to interview on some of these and have discussions with. Um, please just send me a note. Super, super excited to be here. And thank you everyone so much for joining.